Penguins, Islanders tonight. Must win game, I would say, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's pooper, get off the pot time. As the New York Islanders are three standings points ahead of the Penguins. Penguins have a couple of games in hand. The Penguins right now are nine points out of the wild card spot, trailing Detroit. They have three games in hand on Detroit. They are 10 points behind Philadelphia for third in the Metro. They have four games in hand on Philly. Now, that only matters if you take care of your business. Like, oh, they got games in hand. Yeah, great. You got to start winning your games. It does you no good if you're not winning these hockey games. So I think tonight, a must win. But that's secondary, I think, to the bigger storyline right now. And Rob Rossi and the Athletic caught up with Sidney Crosby for a one-on-one conversation. And he asked Crosby this question. Will the Penguins' decision regarding Gensel either before or after the trade deadline influence your decision to recommit to Pittsburgh? And Crosby said no. Obviously, it's a big decision for both sides. That's something that's out of my control. But I don't think that affects how I view things. That actually makes me feel okay if the Penguins do move on from Jake Gensel. My biggest fear all along was if you get rid of Sidney Crosby's most productive winger ever, a guy who he's boys with, a guy that finishes off a ton of Crosby passes, is Crosby going to say, all right, I got one year left on my deal after this, and then I'm out? And it sounds like the answer to that is no. And I never thought that would be the case because I always thought that Sidney Crosby, number one, understands the business, understands the sport, and understands that some of these guys, like a guy like Gensel, he's going to go make his money. And so he understands that. And the other part of it is I think Sidney Crosby is one of those guys that genuinely just wants to play his career in one place. You know, and and if he's a part of the rebuild, everyone says, oh, he doesn't want to be a part of the rebuild. I don't don't know that I agree with that. I think if he could be a part of the the bridge to getting this franchise back and, 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 you know, when he's walking away, they're ready to start winning again, I think he would feel good about that. He needs a challenge, too. I mean, whenever you won and you're of that level and that tier of athlete, you always need a challenge. That's why Tom Brady was like, okay, I'm going to leave New England and go somewhere else because I've won here and, and it, and, you know, it kind of ended and I need to win somewhere else just to show that I can win without Bill Belichick. I, I think in Sidney Crosby's case, he's such a, you know, like I do things one way. Like I wear the same hat all season. I have the same <laughs> jock all season. Yep. Eat um, peanut butter and jelly. Peanut, like he is so like, this is what I do and I am not changing it. I want to stay here in Pittsburgh and I need the challenge because we aren't doing what I expected us to do right now. And if we do rebuild, I want to be a part of that to be able to challenge myself to bring us back to mm-hmm. where we once were. Like, that is how he operates every single second of the day. And it probably bugs him. It definitely bugs him really bad right now, which to see where the Penguins are at right now. And, you know, that he just needs to be challenged, but challenged in his way where he does things the same way all the time. And this wasn't an audio thing. So I just read what Rossi wrote in their conversation. And he left no doubt at the end of the piece. Or Rob said, do you still want to finish your career here in Pittsburgh? And Sid said, yeah, I've said that forever, to your point, Doran, to yours, Paul. But right now I'm trying to focus on getting into the playoffs. I can, I can, you can almost hear the quote because there's that war within himself. Yeah, I want to be here forever. However, not worry about that. I want to make the freaking playoffs right now. And so with all this information that we are now armed with because of Rossi's great conversation with Sid, knowing that this will not change. Whatever happens with Gensel, his thoughts on how he's going to go about the rest of his career. I am now going to 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 stamp down firmly my opinion on what needs to happen with Gensel. So he's hurt. That sucks. 
That's not going to help you trade him. It does not mean that you can't, but it's not going to help because he'll be back right around the deadline, maybe even a little bit after. I want to ride this thing out until March 8th. I want to see if in these few games between now and then they can crawl their way back. You can't even really crawl. you got to fight your way back into this playoff conversation. If you do, all right. All right. And Gensel leaves, then guess what? It's not that you actually do get nothing for him. You do still get cap space in return because you, if he would not come back here. If they're in a playoff position at the deadline, you hang on to him for your captain. If not, you move on from him. They have nine games between now and March 8th. Nine. So... How many points do they need out of those nine games for you to feel like, okay, well, they need to continue? I mean, you really it might can't need... Can't be 18, but... You really might need to go 7-2. and two. Yeah, you're probably going to need so four, 14, 14 points. 14 points. So if they get 14 points in those nine games, you would feel like that probably then they need to add. Well, They need to add. if they here's Because that's the other discussion. Mm-hmm. Could they get to a point where they're close enough where they have to add... And are they going to be willing to do that? Because adding might mean trading a prospect, trading a draft pick, trading a younger guy, trading whatever to win now. I are they going the only to do way that? They can add is what Hathorne said when he was on with us at seven o'clock, and that would be legitimate player out for legitimate player in. Like Ricard Raquel, who hasn't been great this year, is a good player. Maybe he would be better served going someplace else, change of scenery, and might maybe there's a, a similar guy, and you could do a swap like that. Like, they don't have prospects to trade. They have a second-round pick this upcoming year uh, because of the, the the Eric Carlson deal. Like, they don't have much to deal unless they're dealing from the roster. Right, right. And then you're not supplementing. You're kind of just in for out, right? I, I think in this whole hypothetical, if they were to play themselves in into a playoff position and they'd win seven or whatever of these next nine games – it would be impressive because they would have to do it without Jake Gensel. Like, that would actually show me, oh, maybe they've got something here. Mm-hmm. If you can get a little hot or a lot hot without Jake Gensel, that would make me think, okay, try to buy. And maybe you could give up a third-round pick for for a, a minor piece in the bottom six. But any type of big shakeup here ain't going to happen unless you get rid of Gensel. If they get hot and during this time without Jake Gensel, it almost proves that you don't need him right now, too. <laughs> there's also there's also that. <laughs> there's also that. Right. If you get hot and you figure something out right now with him being out, you, you can prove to yourself this year, right now, that you don't need him. Now, that being said, if it's the flip side and they're 2-7, and seven, or even if they tread water these next nine games, and that gap remains what it is, or that gap grows in the playoff standings. Well, now, like I'm, I'm willing to push this thing as far as possible to see if this group, because you brought in Carlson and you re-signed the big three, I'm w- willing to push as far as possible to see, to see if they can make the playoffs, and then see what happens then. But if they should fall on their face or they tread water here, well, now I'm talking Rust, I'm talking Raquel, I'm talking Gensel. I'm talking Jari, who's been a a wonderful regular season goaltender. Everyone other than Crosby's on the table if they if they fall out of it here. You guys agree with that? Mm-hmm. But I do think you got to give it a shot until March eighth because that's what this team was put together to do to contend and be a, a, a at well, least a playoff team. Well, you know that's that's one of the things that I wrote about a couple weeks ago is that if ever there was a year that it's good that the trade deadline is a week and a half, two weeks later than it. It's this year because the Penguins need to 
you know, Kyle Dubas needs as long of a look at this roster as he can possibly have. Yes. In order to figure out, okay, what do we need to do here? Do we need to dismantle it? Do we need to, you know, try and make a run at the playoffs? Do we, you know, what do we do here? The fact that it's March 8th and as opposed to what it usually is, which is usually what, Fe- February 28th or, you know, March 1st, that that really helps. Those extra games help because I think by the time you get these these nine games in, you're probably at a place where you you have a real good idea if you are going to you know really be able to make a run or not. Must win game for the Penguins tonight. Four one two nine two eight nine three seven zero is the text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder's and Associates, a personal injury law firm where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. What do you think the Penguins will do at the deadline? What should they do at the deadline? And any reaction to Crosby saying, "Hey, even if we move on from Gensel, I'm still sticking around." The remainder of my career, 412-928-9370. And a big star on this team with really pointed comments, I thought, yesterday that we have to react to as well. We'll get to that coming up next. Fan Morning Show brought to you by Armstrong Comfort with Matt Mertz Plumbing. Right now, it is an Austin Bechtold fan headline. Might be a must-win game for Pitt basketball tonight as well at Wake Forest. Both the Panthers and Demon Deacons are tied for fourth in the ACC behind Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina. Pitt is riding a five-game winning streak in a 6-2 and on the road this year. Wake Forest is 13-0 at home. Both teams, according to ESPN's Joe Lenardi, are currently on the outside looking in, but in bubble contention. Headlines are powered by Bowser and Genesis in Monroeville. Now open for more, go to 937thefan.com. And now here's Paul Zeiss. As he just said, it's Paul Zeiss, guys. Dealing with ED is miserable. You know it, and she knows it too. New Flow Men's Health is the area's leader in uh, treating erectile dysfunction with long-term positive results. Don't be taken advantage of by clinics Peddling testosterone pills or other crap. No pills, no injections, no games. Take control and get your confidence back by contacting New Flow Men's Health at 412-784-9000. That's 412-784-9000. Visit us at newflowmenshealth.com. That's N-U-F-L-O, menshealth.com. Tweet us at underscore Adam Crowley at score and Dorham at Paul Zeiss. Brought to you by South Hills Kia in Peters Township. Visit them at southhillskia.net. 920, time to stop blindly paying those increasing auto and home insurance premiums. Contact the Buell Insurance Agency in Gibsonia and see what they can do for you. Must-win game for the Penguins tonight. Also really a must-win game for Pitt Hoops. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes. Eric Carlson yesterday prior to that Penguins game tonight against the Islanders. Not anything I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the... That's why we're in it right now. Um, you know, I think we're playing some good hockey, especially defensively. You know, which was obviously a main focus for us uh, at the start of the year. Um, you know, now we just got to find that balance uh, that I know that we have in here, where you know we we are a dangerous team. Uh, you know, we can create a lot and score a lot of goals as well, and you know, simultaneously, uh, you know, play good defense. So that's what we're trying to get to right now. They have played good defense, and they've insulated their goaltenders, who have really both played very well this season. He said to begin that, never seen, and he was talking about a Penguins offense, like this in his life. And he's not wrong. Now he's a big part of it, obviously. But the Penguins are averaging 2.87 goals per game. 26th in the NHL. And a stat that I stumbled on on, on Twitter yesterday. The Penguins have lost 18 one-goal games. And there's a handful of games in there that were two-goal games, but the the last goal was an empty netter. So, really, 18 one-goal games. The power play in those games, gentlemen. Six for 75. 
There's your season right there. There's your season. He talks about, we got enough guys, we should be able to score goals. We're playing good defense. The bottom six, especially now that they're even banged up, they're not going to score. Top six, you hope, scores. And five on five, they've actually looked pretty good. If you're going to score more, and it's we're beating a dead horse here every <laughs> single day, it's the power play. And so Carlson's not wrong, and his criticism's correct, and he hasn't seen a Penguins offense. None of us have really liked this in his lifetime. He was brought in to fix the power play. The power play is ass. The conversation begins and ends right there. It begins and ends right there. If you're going to, in these next nine games before the deadline, turn things around, there's one way you turn it around. Mm -hmm. One. It's the puck starts finding the back of the net on the power play. That's it. That's the only thing that can change. The bottom six isn't going to get better. But they still have the guys on the power play to get better. Sometimes strategically, it, it, like you just need to throw it out the window. I mean, when things aren't working and you're trying to draw things up and you're trying to do this and you're trying to play that chess game of, of structure and you know how we need to do things, I mean, just like TK said, like we talked, we had the conversation with him about Yager playing five minutes and being on the power play now. He was like, they already have Hall of Fame on the power play. And I was just yeah. like, you know what? Like, if it were me, and I have those guys on my power play, and I'm drawing things up, and it's just not working. And they're passing the puck back and forth. I'm going to just be like, you know what? Go play. Hey, it just sounds crazy. I'm going to just, hey, listen. Go, go, get, score, score a goal. <laughs> that, that, that is the challenge. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked Forget about X's and O's. Yes. We, we talked about that yesterday with the, with the fire Reardon crowd. The fire Reardon crowd. Oh, well, it's got to be Reardon, as we talked about. He's had many great power plays over the course of time. But I think Doran is 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 on to something when he says all this other stuff, X's and O's, who's gonna be on they've gotta just say, we're gonna we we are going to fulfill what Hall of Famers do. Mm-hmm. We're going to actually go out and just make plays. But 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 again, part of it is and I don't think Yager was hundred percent wrong when he said they're because we've been saying this for years. They're always trying to connect the dots and make the pretty goal. Sometimes, listen, just throw one in front of the net and all of you just grind it out and see if one of you can push it back past the goalie. I see a lot of teams doing that every single night, right? And and it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you don't get extra points for degree of difficulty. No. you. It, it's a goal whether five of you touch it and then someone backhands it perfectly into the net or if you throw it in front and someone goes in there and just – uh, you know, what was his name? Hornquist. Remember when Hornquist would go in there and just beat the hell out of somebody and somehow his stick would find it and, and, and knock it in the net? That's You got to get it behind the goalie. I was just going to say, Paul, so when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup in 2016, the game-winning goal in game six against San Jose was an absolutely beautiful pass to Chris Letang, who buries it. But the, the game-winning goal that won the Stanley Cup in 2017, Patrick Hornquist is literally behind the net and it's a bouncing puck and he whacks it in. Like, they count exactly the same. Yes. They do. And you hear Mike Sullivan say, well, we're going to juggle this, and we got this guy coming up from the minors who's been one of the better scorers in the minors the last couple of years. We can put this guy on the top line. We can move these guys around to the bottom six. Y- yeah. I get that you got to keep trying things. None of that matters. It just doesn't unless the power play fixes itself. And if the power play fixes itself and gets you to the playoffs, then guess what? You know, I know some people have said, if this team even makes it, what are they really going to do? Well, if they make it, the power play will have dragged them there. That's how they become dangerous then in the playoffs is you've got a good goalie, you've got a good top six, 
and then you need a timely power play goal. That's how you win in the playoffs. If they get there, it'll be because this is what got them there, and it will mean that they're, I think, a little bit dangerous. Mm -hmm. But if they don't fix it, they're not going to make the playoffs, and they got to fix it starting tonight. The other night against L.A., on Yager night, they absolutely blew it. And why'd they blew it? Because they went one for five on the power play. You get one more goal, it's the second of back-to-backs for L.A., and guess what? L.A.'s not crawling back and winning that game. They're just not. So you let that opportunity slip. You can't let tonight slip. And, and from and, here on out, you've you, got to be average. Uh, and, and one, sorry, one more thing, Paul. I don't think Dubas did the wrong thing in bringing in Carlson. No. Because the problem last year was they had an average power play. It needed to be good to great. He brought the right guy in. Just hasn't worked. I was going to say the other thing is you can't get the th- this game cannot go to overtime. You, <laughs> no, you, you need you need got to win it. That's in, a great regulation point. Regulation yeah. because you give them a point. You know, you're, you're you're what are you right now? Five behind them, four behind them. Let's see the others. So you're three behind them. If you win outright in regulation, now you're one behind them yep. as opposed to letting them hang around. You know, and get that loser point that they seem to get. And that's what the Islanders do. I, I can't and the and the. the the whole loser point system in hockey has has always made me go bonkers. The Islanders have they've gone to overtime 18 times. 18 times. That's not a good team. They're finding a way to lose sexy, if you will. Drives me up a flipping wall. All right, so that's one must-win game tonight. Penguins and Islanders. You wouldn't believe it that Pitt winners a 7 of 8 need to win tonight's game. Must have tonight's game. But they do. We'll get into that coming up next. A massive one for Pitt Hoops tonight at 9 o'clock against Wake Forest. You can listen to the game right here on 93.7 The Fan and with the power of your Odyssey app. Uh, This segment brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Reserve your consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. Right now, it's a Becky fan headline. Pitt's on a five-game winning streak, 17-8 and eight overall, 8-6 eight and six in the ACC. That's tied with Wake Forest, tonight's opponent, who is currently on a two-game losing streak as well. Four teams... Right now in the top four, it's Carolina, Duke, Virginia, and Pitt tie with Wake Forest. The Panthers have beaten Duke and Virginia, the two teams that are ahead of them, other than North Carolina, who's currently 12-3, and the first-place team in the ACC. Headlines are Papa Bowser and Genesis to Monroeville. Now open for more. Go to 937thefan.com. And now here's Doran. ESPN Bet is now live in Pennsylvania as the official sportsbook of ESPN. ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sportsbook bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in-game wagering, cross-board parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. Must be 21 and over. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fan Morning Show is brought to you by Armstrong Comfort with Matt Mertz Plumbing. Tonight, 9 o'clock, right here on 93.7 The Fan. Pittman's hoops taking on Wake Forest. Must-win game for the Panthers. Why? Even though they've won five in a row and seven out of eight, I look at ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi's latest one sheet that he puts out. He's got Wake Forest fourth in the first four out category. So it's a must-win for them. They've lost two in a row. They're behind Utah, Seton Hall, and Cincinnati in first four out. Pitt has played their way onto the bubble now. They're in the next four-out category behind St. John's, Villanova, and Colorado. They're 47th in the ever-popular net rankings. Boys, you win tonight, you probably play your way into, right now, a tournament spot, according to Lenardi. You lose, 
Now you're having to claw your way all the way back onto the bubble again. Yeah, six and a half dogs. That's it's very odd to me. Um, just based off the way that they've been playing, obviously lately, and the way Blake Hinson's been playing. So uh, this is a very, very important game for the Pitt Panthers. Very important, as everybody knows it. And I think that I think that the, that they figured out what their team is, and they figured it out at the right time. The timing wasn't too late, but if they continue to play that they are, I think that they're going to find themselves in a nice spot at the end of the year. Yeah, I think the other part of it is they've got uh, Virginia Tech and then at Clemson. So this is the stretch. This is a stretch right here is going to tell us where they're at. If they if they can win these games, that puts them probably in a really good place. I would I would assume winning at Wake Forest and then winning at Clemson is going to do wonders for their metrics. both would be quad one victories, right? And, and on the road, and, and that would do wonders for their for their metrics. And then of course you just can't in lose to Florida State or Boston College, those teams that you're playing at the end. Um, I think this is a big one, though, because you get another quad one win on the road. That That's what this team needs. They need they need help with all of those metrics that kind of push them into the, the field. If they win this game and if they win at Clemson, it's a tall task, but if they win those games, if Blake Kinson was the national player of the week and the ACC player of the week, if they win those games – that would put them at eight and two on the road, and that would put them at five and four in quad one. How how are you keeping that out? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to stub your toe against any of the other teams. Like you don't want to stub your toe against Virginia Tech at home, and they just absolutely thumped, 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 thumped right. Virginia last night. But how do you keep a team who's been that good outside the Pete and above five hundred in quad one out of the tournament? Like that's a great resume. Well, the resume too is they they have I mean like low key they have star power too like I mean you have the national player of the of the week on your roster you have the ACC player of the week on your roster my man just dropped forty one you have an NBA point guard that's a freshman that's six five you have another freshman point point guard that is is playing at a high level it's like you know you look at this team yes they can be dangerous if everything falls the right way and they continue to play they are but they also have some guys on there that it's like. You know, these are these are some of the best players in college basketball. The Hinson thing has to help. It has to it help. Has to. Of but, course. Like, don't you want him playing in your tournament? Well, yes. here's the other thing. What bothers me about the way that they do the metrics mm-hmm. is that, and I've argued this back when the old RPI system. Now it's you know the, the RPI is still around, but they don't really don't use it. It's a net rankings thing, right? To me, if you play an opponent that's outside the top 100, it should count the same. So whether you play 110 or 290, it should count the same. Well, and and the, it, and, and, and the reason is because then you get rid of all this nonsense where teams try and trick it up. And so if you play, say you want to play a, a regional team like Youngstown or St. Francis, you've got to worry about how that's going to hurt you. Meanwhile, if you're playing St. Francis or Youngstown or you're playing one of these other teams that's uh, better – net ranking team that you're still supposed to beat on your home court. I don't understand why we give you so much credit for 110 versus 280. To well, me, it's the same. And some of it is so flawed when you're looking at schedules. Like Pitt probably thought they were going to go on the road and play a Bob Huggins coach West Virginia team that if you win that game, it's going to help you, and it doesn't. You know, West Virginia played Ohio State in a neutral environment. 
they probably thought Ohio State back when they had Huggins would be a game that boosts your resume when you're on a neutral court. Ohio State isn't very good. They just fired their head coach. Like, you're building these schedules, apart from the COVID year, when everyone just figured out magically how to build a schedule in 10 seconds. But you're building these schedules out for years, and then you get hit with, well, you know, Pitt did a great job in the ACC, but, but, but they didn't play anybody in the non-conference. I'm just using Pitt as an example. Any of these teams. Well, when they... When they signed up to play X, Y, and Z, maybe X, Y, and Z were pretty good. Like, Well, and the other part of it is, the, 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 like, the SEC and the Big 12 are getting lots of credit for, I don't know, playing well against each other. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, there's nine SEC teams currently in the field. Yes. Do you really believe there's nine SEC teams that are better than Pitt? I have a hard no. time coming up with four that are better than Pitt. Look, clearly better than Pitt. You know what I mean? And And here's the thing. When I when I see stuff like that, when I see six Mountain West teams are better than Pitt, come on, man. But again, if you schedule in the non-conference right, it's not even necessarily the best teams you play in your non-conference. It's the bottom teams that you play in your non-conference. How badly do they drag you down? And if you schedule them right, I, I listen. I had a knockdown, dragout argument with Jamie Dixon one day because this was way back. West Virginia had played like Texas. Somebody else, they, they had played like four or five real teams. But their non-conference, the, the, but, but the bad teams they played were all garbage. 300 RPI teams and whatever. And so, Jamie was saying, even though Pitt really didn't play anybody in their non-conference, he was able to trick it up the way he mm-hmm. always did. And his, so, their, their, their non-conference strength of schedule was actually higher than West Virginia's. And my thing was, that's what's wrong with the system, Jamie. Can I? Because West Virginia actually played four or five real games. Well, can I break your head here, Paul? So, Pitt's 47th in the net. You know who's right in front of them? Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon has played one quad one game. Pitt has played seven. Pitt has three quad one wins. Grand Canyon has one quad one win. Grand Canyon is 13 and 0 in quad 4. Explain that to me. Mm. I, I I Right. Look, I I don't kill the Lenardis of the world. And I know you're not doing that. I don't kill the bracketologists. They look at what the criteria is and what and they'll use past precedent, right? What I don't get is the net. What again, I don't get that, is the but, net. But again, that's why I say they punish you too much for the bad teams on your schedule. That's the problem. It's, Except it, for Grand Canyon, right. apparently. No, what I mean is that they, 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 if you if you lose one of those games, though, oh, you get it kills you. Yeah, you get you know destroyed. What I mean, and and it shouldn't be that way. To me, if let's take a number, right, one ten. After one ten, every other person counts as a one eleven, right? So if you play, because then all of a sudden, who you play, like the the what I call the bad teams, the teams you're supposed to beat, who you play doesn't matter. Because frankly, like I said, using that Pitt West Virginia, uh, uh, you know, Pitt uh, West Virginia had played like Texas. They played like four or five of those kind of games, but they had some really bad 290, 300 RPI teams on their schedule. And the problem is they punish you more for that than they do for playing top teams. That and that was my argument, and that's still my argument is that the non-conference strength of schedule component of it is horrific. And one thing that they say they don't do, and I'm not convinced that that's a, this is actually the case. They say they don't take margin of victory into it. I think you should if you're playing bad teams. Like you beat a bad, te- you beat a 150th team in the net by seven, 
and someone else beats a 160th team by 35, I think you should weigh that kind of heavily. I mean, it, there's no exact science because of the different conferences, but I think margin of victory then should play into it. All right, we come back. Is the line right? We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll put a bow on the show before handing things off to Joe Starkey. But first, it's an Austin Bechtold fan headline. Lots of sports you can watch and tune into tonight. First, it's the Penguins at 7 o'clock at home at PPG Paints Arena against the New York Islanders at 7 o'clock. And then the big one, Pitt Basketball at 9 o'clock against Wake Forest. You can hear it right here on 93.7 The Fan beginning at 8.30 with tip-off at 9 o'clock. Both teams tied for fourth in the ACC. For more fan headlines, go to 93.7thefan.com. 50-minute mark on the fan brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Route 19 in Peters Township celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. I just I just stumbled upon this. So Pitt's got Wake Forest tonight on the road. They're a six-and-a-half-point dog, which we'll get to in a moment. Pitt's got to go to Boston College on March 2nd. The way that the net is whatever, the way that the net is, top 75 road win counts as a quad one win. Boston College is 75th right now. Let's say they're 75th when Pitt plays them. That would be a quad one win, right? Well, unless Pitt beats them and knocks them to 80th. Like, how crazy is that? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? They're right on that cut line. Oh, this is a great chance. Road win. Quad one win. Beat them. Now they're 78th. It's a quad two win. It's nuts. The whole thing's nuts. And I haven't been there before this year. Like, last year, <clears throat> my team was trying to get in. Yeah. So I'm a big net fan. Now I'm looking at this thing is nuts. It's See, nuts. I, I mean, I've been wired this way ever since I was younger. I don't pay attention to any of that stuff. Do they win or do they lose? Just win, right? Just that, I, that's how they've got to look win. at it, right? Just win. Well, yeah. Uh, as I've said before, one of the one of the things that I think Jeff Capel is uh, being very short-sighted about, they should play Duquesne. Duquesne is borderline 100, 100 to, you know, say like 95 to like 110, which is what? A solid quad two team, pretty much right. Every, on neutral site, right? yeah. And you're going to play them on a neutral site. Or some of those years it was counted as a away game. So you're going to get the extra boost from playing a, a, a quad two win on a neutral site, which, again, since 1980 or whatever it is, Pitt is Pitt was literally like, what were they like, thirty-eight and two or something against Duquesne? I mean, you're gonna win that game. The idea that oh well, you know, I don't know that it helps. It helped. That's why Jamie played it every year, right? That's why he played it every year. Speaking of playing that neutral site, PPG Paints Arena, we got it. We got to go. We got to go to the first round games of PPG Paints this year. I'm in. I haven't done that yet. It's here every other year, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or every few years. I'll be there because of the post, you know, covering it for the post. Yeah. Set, but it's pretty It's pretty interesting uh, when you see so many different styles of basketball and so many different teams. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing. It's the best thing in sports, I think. Now, the the, the method in, in how you qualify is Can BS. I, the, 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 uh, I always say the Elite Eight, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, that round, that's the best thing in sports. Because now you've gotten rid of some of the, you know, the teams that are just there. Because you've got just enough Cinderella, but it's mostly the powerhouse. When I when I when I covered with your guys, Pitt Snoggle and all those guys, they were in Atlanta. Think about this: they were in Atlanta. The other teams were LSU with with Tyrus Thomas, Big Baby. Do you remember that group? I sure do. Okay, Texas 
with LaMarcus Aldridge, Daniel Gibson, and all that group. Duke with J.J. Redick and company. <laughs> and then Pitsnoggle and, and all those guys. West Virginia played Texas. LSU played Duke. LSU throttled Duke. Texas beat Pitsnoggle hits a three to tie the game with like five seconds left. They inbounded Daniel Gibson is right in front of me. I was right at the scorer's table. I'm, I was at the media table, literally right at half court, right in front of me, throws it up. As soon as he threw it up, I said, well, West Virginia's going home. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Boom. That was nice. And then I got to Dorn, see. you want to tell me about December 1st, 2007? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll just saying. Tomorrow. And then Texas played LSU. And, there, and, and at some points in the game, there were nine future NBA players mm. on the court. Well, that's like the the Final Four. West Virginia played Kentucky. You had DeMarcus Cousins, yeah. and, I mean, that team was stacked. The point guard, whose name now escapes me whenever I need it. Derek John Rose. Wall. I mean, John Wall got worked that game. Yeah, it's the best. Not Derek Rose. Uh, John Wall. John Wall. John Wall. Yeah. Derek yeah. Rose was on his Memphis teams. All right, boys. Well, this was fun. What do you say <laughs> we do it again tomorrow? Do Pitt, Does Pitt win tonight? Yes. Yes, I do. They at least cover. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. High 49.